This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network, my latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis. Taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. Today's podcast begins a week of affiliated monitors on compliance and coronavirus. Today I have with me Jerry Coyne. Jerry is a managing director at Affiliate Monitors, and he talks about the rise of telemedicine, the age of COVID-19, and coronavirus. I know you'll find it fascinating. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me Jerry Coyne. Jerry is with Affiliated Monitors. He's a managing director of state monitoring services. Uh, Spent a long time in the Rhode Island uh, State AG's office and now is uh, over at uh, AMI. So, Jerry, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. Tom, it's great being here, and I appreciate the invitation to speak. Jerry, uh, one of my observations uh, that I have come uh, really developed over the past several months in the area, era of coronavirus and economic dislocation is the acceleration of trends that were already in place. Uh, moving very quickly. And today we're going to take a look at that trend of telemedicine. You've had an occasion to look at that, uh, the expansion of telemedicine in the coronavirus crisis timeframe. So I was wondering if you could start off by uh, giving the listeners uh, just a brief uh, summary of what is telemedicine. Telemedicine, Tom, is the practice of medicine without face-to-face contact between um the practitioner and the patient. And originally, um, there were really three levels of telemedicine. One was called interactive medicine, where there was audiovisual communication tools that allowed the patient and the physician to communicate in real time over a HIPAA-compliant uh, network. And that was called kind of live telemedicine. That was um, sort of the state of the art. There was something called store and forward telemedicine where you would take and um, capture data um, that would then be sent to a doctor who would not uh, review it in real time, but it would be looking at either test data or things like that. And then um, the third was called remote patient monitoring where um, monitoring was done over things like blood sugar or blood pressure that could be done simply by um, measurement without a, a lot of real interaction and did not involve the kind of um, HIPAA compliance issues that the interactive medicine had to deal with. What do you see as some of the key compliance issues around telemedicine or at least the expansion of it in the era of coronavirus? You know, so one of the things that we took a look at is how long telemedicine has been around. And it really has been around for quite some time. There are different... Um, entities that have made more use of it than others. Um, And um, before we get too deep into this, I think it's important to remember that telemedicine is not um, a new development. Um, It has been used particularly to 
provide medical services to areas where there are underserved populations in rural parts of the country. But it's also been used extensively by the military and particularly by the VA. So it's not new. Um, what we have seen, though, is in this unprecedented era we're in, Public health and medicine in general was confronted with a situation where, for very good reasons, people did not want potentially sick clients coming in to a, uh, either a hospital, a, a doctor's office, or an area where there would be face-to-face -face contact. But those people were the very same ones that perhaps needed medicine the most. And when you combined um, the need of the patient to get medical treatment and medical consultation with the concerns about having that person potentially infect others. Telemedicine seemed to many people to be a almost ideal um, way to address both of those needs. And so what we saw was almost every state um, enacting some type of emergency provision, um, including the federal government through CMS, that removed some of the things that were perceived of as holding telemedicine back. And so we have seen an exponential growth in telemedicine over the last probably four months. Jerry, one of the key service offerings of AMI is monitorships in the healthcare industry. Those monitorships can run from entire healthcare systems to hospitals to uh, groups of physicians, actually to individual physicians. So uh, from your perspective, what do you see as some of the challenges in the monitoring phase of working with any of those groups around telemedicine? Well, one of the things that people seem to be focusing on the most right now has to do with payment. Um, like any other kind of medicine, it is critical in terms of who is going to be paying for that service. And it requires very specific coding and it requires um, you know, documentation. There is a concern that um, someone who was inclined to perhaps commit either fraud or some type of um, excess billing could through different codes be charging the insurer or whoever else is paying for this service more than they were entitled to for the service that was delivered. And there's really less checks and balances here because from telemedicine, when with telemedicine today, most patients are very unfamiliar with it. They're not looking at the clock to see how long the visit lasted. And they really have no idea on the distinctions between um, the different types of codes that might cover different types of services. So it seems like there is a, first of all, a significant potential that there could be um, financial issues in terms of telemedicine. Then there are other issues um, that people have raised as well, one of which is that um, there has been some concern raised about the expansion of telemedicine um, may set the stage for people to contact potential patients, almost like a phishing ex exercise, 
where somebody would represent themselves to be a medical practice and engage with a person and asking them for all sorts of personal information in order to set up a um, medical appointment when, in fact, they are not the provider. It's kind of an old uh, school type fraud, but the telemedicine has provided a great vehicle for people because it is out there, it's new, and people are unfamiliar with it, and yet it's providing, in many cases, a vital service so people may be inclined to provide that information when they wouldn't provide it to somebody who just called them up on the phone in any other circumstance. Jerry, you mentioned the expansion of telemedicine during this uh, coronavirus health crisis. Is uh, is the expansion something that uh, you've seen uh, either anecdotally or is that something that's been documented and this is, is this a real thing, a real development in medicine? Well, it's real. Um, you know, there have been some hospital networks that have um, tracked the growth of it. Um, and um, it varies from like, for example, the um, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center began to track uh, use of telemedicine there early on uh, March and April. And what they found was that um the, the number of telemedicine visits jumped in their system from 250 a day in early March to nearly 9,500 a day by mid-April. So that's an increase of 3,800%. Um, to break it down a little more in their endocrinology department, they were conducting about eight telemedicine appointments weekly, but since the pandemic developed, that number jumped to about 500 so it's real. You know, the, the expansion is real. Um, it's not just limited to any geographical area. Um, there was a professor from Harvard Medical School um, who is associated with Partners Healthcare in Massachusetts um, as a senior advisor. And it was reported in the media that for that network, which is a very large network in Massachusetts, the um, telemedicine use jumped from about 1,600 virtual visits in February uh, 2020 to 90,000 the following month. So the increase is just exponential. Well, Jerry, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope that perhaps uh, as we move into Q3 and Q4 of this year, I might be able to call on you if uh, you have some more information or we can talk about this further. Tom, it's an area that I think we're all going to be dealing with for quite some time, and we are at the very infancy of it. So I look forward to talking more about it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This is the only B2B podcast which brings clear and sane information for both the compliance professional and the business executive. If I could ask you uh, to do one thing, if you could tell one person about this podcast, I'm trying to get the word out uh, about this most unique podcast in the Compliance Podcast Network. So if you could tell one person about it, send them a copy, send them a link, do something uh, to help me publicize this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. Compliance and Coronavirus is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network, and it appears Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of each week. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.